Well, as we've said, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the time when we remember that gift of the Holy Spirit given to God's people, the church, as promised by Jesus. It wasn't just some kind of, we add on some kind of postscript, but but here was another stage in the completing of God's reaching out to the world. He'd come to us in human form in Jesus. And Jesus had borne the sins of the world on the cross at Calvary. Three days later, had risen from the dead, declaring the victory over death and also being the first fruits of a new creation to come. And Jesus had promised that after he'd gone and after he'd ascended back to be with the Father, he would send his Holy Spirit to be in his people. So Christianity is not just believing about things in the past, but knowing the presence of God with us in the here and now, fellowship with God in the here and now. And that's possible for all of us for all time throughout the world because of this gift of the Holy Spirit. No more is the presence of God among us located in one person's body, Jesus of Nazareth, but is available for all, no matter who we are and where we are. If we receive, if we repent, as Peter said in that verse with which we began our service. And over this season of um, Pentecost, we've been looking at... uh, a series on the fruit of the Spirit, as mentioned by the Apostle Paul in, in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we come to look at kindness. Now, kindness has been something of an inward in the last couple of weeks. week before last was um, Mental Health Awareness Week, And the theme for Mental Health Awareness Week this year was kindness. It's well established that there is a direct link between both the giving and receiving of kindness and and good mental health. And that reminds us that it's not just Christians who can be kind. And that's the same with the other fruit of the Spirit as well. You don't have to be a Christian to be a patient person. You don't have to be a Christian to have some peace in your life or some joy. No, these gifts are gifts that we find in potentially in all people, but also they are the fruit of the Spirit. How come both? Well, I think two things here. One, the reminder that the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit is is these very human characteristics reminds us that God's salvation is not nothing to do with the world he created in the first place. Some people present the gospel almost as though God has put us in here in this world, but he wants to get us out of this world as fast as possible. Not so. Because of human sin, the world has been spoiled, but it's not obliterated. And there are still many good things in creation. And when people were made and made in the image of God, many of the characteristics that are good human characteristics remained even after the fall. Okay, they might have been spoiled, they might have been less than they could and should have been, but they're not absent. And so the Holy Spirit growing love, joy, peace, patience, and so on in in our lives is an affirmation of the goodness of creation and that the salvation of God is not to throw creation out, but rather to restore or renew creation. So other people have these gifts, these fruit as well. 
But Christians should excel. There's a difference. If the Spirit is with us, and the Spirit is growing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on, then we should be excelling as this, with the Spirit's help. We grow in these. But we'll find them elsewhere. And it's a reminder to us that the work of the Holy Spirit is not just in the extraordinary or the particular special things or the things that we can't otherwise explain. On the day of Pentecost, it was quite amazing what happened. There was a rush at the sound of a rushing wind. There was um, the Spirit descending in what seemed like tongues of fire. The disciples began speaking in tongues, and people could hear them speaking in their own varied languages. And sometimes people have made the mistake of going from that to saying that the Holy Spirit's then only at work if it's something mysterious, something inexplicable. Not so. The fruit of the Spirit are these very ordinary and very human things. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles today. Not. And I'm not saying that we, nobody speaks in tongues. But we need to be careful. After all, there are tongues speaking in other faiths as well, not just the Christian faith. We have to be careful that we don't exclude the Spirit from the ordinary and the everyday of life. The work of the Holy Spirit is not just in the sensational, in the miraculous, but in the very day-to-day -day characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want to hold that in our minds, the human characteristics that are elsewhere in which Christians are to excel, and also the work of the Spirit, sometimes being in the extraordinary and miraculous, but also the work of the Spirit being alongside that in the very down-to-earth characteristics of serving God in the day-to-day. -day. Now, let's keep both these things in mind as we come to our Bible reading for today. It's from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to be reading from verse 27 through to the 10th verse of chapter 28. So that's Acts 27, verse 27, through to the 10th verse of chapter 28. And this story comes as part of the final journey of the Apostle Paul. For a long time, he longed to go to Rome to visit the church there. And now he is going to Rome, but he's going as a prisoner. And he's been taken there by boats, and the boat on which he's been uh, shipped to Rome is caught up in a storm. And where we pick up the reading in verse 27 is in the middle of a storm. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across, across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 40 meters deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 30 meters deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. But then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. And then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. And the bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped to sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was ill in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of those on the island who were ill came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Amen, and thanks be to God for His Word. In that passage we read from Acts, we see quite a lot of kindness going on. Um, Right back at the beginning of the story, back in the third verse of chapter 27, before I began reading, we're told that the the centurion who was in charge of the trip, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. We see kindness in the story and the way that Paul was dealing with the sailors and uh, and the soldiers on the ship. But then we see kindness too when the shipwrecked folk arrive bedraggled on the shore 
and we're told in verse 2 of chapter 28, the, isle, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all. There's kindness going on later on in the, when the, um, those who've been shipwrecked are given accommodation, and probably because he was with Julius the centurion, um, Paul and those with him ended up in the house of the chief official, Publius. And then when Paul and the others were ready to set sail again, we are told that they were furnished with the supplies that they needed. But also we see kindness in, in Paul's part in the story. Yes, he'd been helped by God to see through a vision what was going to be happening. But also he was showing quite straightforward, simple kindness in the way that he was urging the soldiers and the sailors to eat. And we also see it at the beginning of chapter 28, when having been washed up on shore with the others, as the islanders are starting a fire, Paul, we're told in verse 3, gathered a pile of brushwood. Now, I can think of reasons why Paul wouldn't be involved in the gathering up of wood for the fire. He was a prisoner. He's not in charge of this operation. He's not got responsibility to make things happen. He'd been one of those who'd been caught up and buffeted by the storm and had gone through the waters to arrive on the beach and would be cold and wet and everything else. Let the islanders get the, the fire for them. They seemed keen enough to do it. And also, we, we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that Paul wasn't exactly a prized physical specimen. Surely these sail sailors and soldiers would be bigger, tougher, stronger. They could go and collect the wood for the fire. But Paul, verse 3, gathered up the brushwood. Sometimes we hear it said of people that they're so heavenly minded as to be no earthly use. Although I think more commonly the danger for the church today is that we are so earthly minded that we're not a lot of heavenly use. Just the other day, I was reading a newspaper column that a minister had written because they were a minister invited to write and share words in this time of lockdown, and the whole article of several hundred words didn't mention God once or Christ once. That's a more particular and more common danger, so earthly-minded that we're not much heavenly use. But you know, we don't have to choose. And what we see in, in this uh, passage is Paul both. We see that both the, the miracle of um, Paul being led by the Spirit and given visions, but also Paul serving in some down-to-earth down, down ways. Even the feeding on the boat, verse 35 of chapter 27, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, then he broke it and began to eat. It's the same four things as happened at the Last Supper. And sometimes people have said, oh, this is a, the, the, a communion kind of thing going on here. No, it isn't. It's actually how Paul and Jesus before him lived. Jesus did the same with the feeding of the 5,000. He took the food from the boy's lunchbox. He gave thanks to God. He broke it. He gave it and ate. It's how we live. Well, bringing together the reality of God's salvation and our lives as creatures on this earth. But there's more similarities between Jesus and Paul. In the Gospels, Jesus, too, is on a journey. 
His journey is not across the sea, it's on land, and he's going to Jerusalem. He's heading there even though he knows he's going to be crucified. In fact, he's heading there because he's going to be crucified. And as Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem, and as Jesus journeyed towards the city, there were a whole range of interruptions to him as we read in the gospel accounts. Like blind Bartimaeus in the crowd shouting out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. Or the people who brought their children to Jesus so that he could bless them, and the disciples saying, No, no, he's too busy. And Jesus saying, No, let the children come to me. A passage, incidentally, and you can read it again in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16 a passage that has absolutely nothing to do with baptism, nothing at all. But it was an interruption, and Jesus allowed the interruption. Zacchaeus up the tree, the woman we read about a few weeks ago who was having bleeds and who touched Jesus' cloak, hoping she could do so in anonymity, but Jesus stopped and, and spoke to her. Kindness. And the interruptions were part of Jesus' ministry. As he headed to Jerusalem, these interruptions were gospel work. And, and so too here with Paul, as he heads towards Rome, but he's long to go for so long. The way he deals with the soldiers, with the sailors, with the islanders, these interruptions are not treated with um, irritation, but he welcomes them and ministers. And so there's a lesson here for the church. We have a goal to be looking towards and working for the kingdom of God. And as we seek to serve Jesus in daily lives, there will be interruptions. There will be people who need our time, our efforts, our money, our attention. And we're not to respond and react with irritation and impatience. Rather, the interruptions are the ministry. And we should be eager to serve just as Paul was, just as Jesus was. I mentioned that kindness had been something of a theme the, the other week for the Mental Health Awareness Week, and in this week's paper, I, someone did a survey. I have no idea how people um, work these things out, but there was some survey trying to find out which was the kindest place in Britain. Um, well, Bristol came top, although you won't be surprised to know that the top Scottish place was Glasgow. But Bristol was top, and then the article said, well, you know, there's maybe three or four acts of kindness done by everybody a year. And I thought, that's not very much. That's not very many. We have to have kindness growing as a fruit of the Spirit so that it becomes part and parcel of, of who we are. That is, kindness is to become something of a, of a habit. Now, when is something a habit? Well, something's become a habit when it's more natural to do it than it is to not do it. And so if there's opportunity for kindness and I'm sort of calculating, mm, I should do this because Jesus wants me to, Jesus expects me to, and even though there's this reason and that reason why maybe I shouldn't, okay, I better, I show that kindness has not become a habit. It's not yet my instinctive response. It's not yet my natural go-to thing. But if the Holy Spirit's with us and the Holy Spirit's among us, then kindness will not just be an occasional act here and there, but part and parcel of who we are. So each day, 
do I go into it thinking, who can I, who can I thank today? Is there someone that I can encourage, someone I can smile upon? Is there someone I can offer my time to, to serve, to, to listen? Can I pray at the beginning of a day, Lord, is there someone that I can be kind towards today? You see, even in lockdown, I think we'll find, if we think about it, there's opportunities. So here's a challenge for you this week. Every day, after you've opened your eyes, pray. Lord, is there someone that I can be kind towards today? And look for the opportunities. For that's how kindness becomes something of a habit in us and through us. And suppose we lived then each day with, with two questions in our minds. What would I do for someone if I were Jesus? If I see someone and then I, if I were to say, well, it's not just Gordon Palmer looking at them, but how would Jesus look at this person and would I do that for them? And then the flip side of that what would I do for the other person if that other person was Jesus, if that other person was Christ himself? And if we could learn to think these two things through and live with these questions, I think that would make a huge difference in how kind we were to others and in how we treat others. Richard Wormbrand was a pastor in Romania during the time of the communist uh, regime there and the Iron Curtain and everything else. And like many Christians um, behind the Iron Curtain, he was persecuted for his faith, he was imprisoned, he was tortured for no other reason than he was a follower of Jesus. And one time he tells in one of his books how he was in a cell with other prisoners who had been tortured. They hadn't all been tortured because they were followers of Christ. They were lots of different reasons they communist government had it in for these different people, and a whole lot of prisoners were just thrown together. But there they were, people who had this in common, that they had been tortured. And Wormbrand said he was in a corner there of the cell with, with a blanket. It was cold. It was winter, and he, he was really cold, and he, he wrapped his blanket around him as tightly as possible and, and as often as possible, trying to get as many layers out of this one blanket as he could. And then he looked across the cell, and he saw another man who had been beaten and tortured, who didn't have a blanket, and who was visibly shivering. And Wormbrand thought, if that were Christ, would you give him his blanket, your blanket? Yeah, he knew the answer. And he did. Not just in prison, but before he'd gone to prison, and then after he was released from prison, Richard Wombrand had a very fruitful ministry. I was fortunate enough to hear him once preaching in, in Aberdeen. Many folks had come to faith through Richard Wormbrand. The Holy Spirit was with him and upon him and on his ministry. But you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't just ministering through Richard Wormbrand as he stood in front of crowds of people and preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit was there with Richard Wormbrand in that prison cell when Wormbrand was thinking, 
I should give him my blanket, shouldn't I? Because that's kindness. And kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so what we have in Wormbrand's example, what we have in Paul, what we have in Jesus dealing with these many interruptions as he heads towards Jerusalem, is a weaving together of gospel work, of sharing good news, of calling people to faith, and then on us down-to-earth good qualities. It's not as if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in a spiritual realm, but not a material realm. He's, he's in both and, and leads us and works through us in both. Gospel ministry is both spiritual and material. And so the Apostle Paul preached about Christ. He shared his faith with the folks on the board. He spoke about Jesus to the folks who were giving him hospitality on the island. Aye. And he also gathered wood. The Holy Spirit helped Paul to, to heal Publius' father, verse 8 of chapter 28, and heal the others who were brought to him. Aye, but the Holy Spirit had helped Paul back in verse 3 when he was gathering wood. How do I know that? Because it was kindness to gather the wood to help others, and kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It used to be said commonly at marriages, at weddings, that what God has joined together, no one should separate. That's not just true for a husband and wife, that's true for gospel life and gospel living. We need the Holy Spirit's ministry to share faith, to serve God, to do powerful things in Jesus' name. But we need the Holy Spirit's help to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God has joined these things together. They're all part of the work of the Spirit. And kindness is part of the gospel, part of the Spirit's ministry, part of the outcomes of Pentecost, part of the restoration of all that is good in creation, part of what will be gathered up in fullness in the kingdom of God. So will you pray that prayer this week? Lord, is there someone I can be kind towards? Pray that each day until it becomes a habit. Help yourself to grow that kindness by saying, what would I do for someone if I were Christ? Or what would I do for someone if that person were Christ? And let the Holy Spirit work so that kindness becomes a habit. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you again for the gift, for the coming of your Spirit at Pentecost. We thank you for the many ministries of your Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit bringing us closer to you, the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, the Holy Spirit making your word come alive. But also we give you thanks for the Holy Spirit growing very ordinary or seemingly ordinary qualities in our lives. Help us not to despise these things. And keep us from the arrogance of thinking that on our own we can be kind, we can be patient, we can be faithful, we can be joyful, etc. 
rather help us to work with the authority, with the leading and in the power of your Spirit to grow fruit, that we might live for the goodness and the glory of your kingdom. Amen.